Let me just uh, share. Uh, there's actually technically eight scriptures in the New Testament where Paul asks people to pray for him. And I've already listed out the vast majority of them to you, and the ones that require great explanation have already been explained. But I just want to uh, remind you of them one more time. So the first one is Ephesians chapter 6. We already dealt with that, but let's just read it again because we're doing here uh, part 3 of praying for your pastor, and I'll finish it up tonight. And I don't have very long to go, so we'll, 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 be, uh, we'll be brief. But I want you to read with me sec uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19, and for me, well, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me. So obviously he's talking about praying. And for me, praying for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly, that means bluntly and frankly, to make known the mystery of the gospel. Don't ever ask me to be a politician because I'm not called to be a politician. Don't ever expect from me politically uh, correct, what do you call it? What is it? Political, what is it? political correctness. I'll try my best, but uh, frank bluntness is what the Greek says, which means not everything has to be phrased just perfectly like the politicians. They have to phrase it all perfectly, otherwise nobody will vote for them. But this is not a voting system. The local church is not a voting system. The local church is an appointment system. God appoints me, and you come if you want to come and listen if you want to listen. But don't expect me to uh, hold my tongue back. I'm not talking about inappropriate speaking or being too mean or aggressive or from the wrong place. I'm talking about boldness. We have to be more bold today than ever before because of the darkness that is growing. So see, so pray, what are you praying? Bold utterance that I may open my mouth boldly to make on the mystery of the gospel for which I'm ambassador in bonds that there and I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. I'm pleased. I'm, I'm asking you to remember that Colossians 4 and verse 3 is the second verse. Colossians 4 and verse 3. Hallelujah. Colossians 4 and verse 3. Verse 2 says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest or make it revealed as I ought to speak, which we know interpreting Scripture with Scripture, that means ought to speak means boldly. He called it a door of utterance. Notice twice, both to the Ephesus church and the church in Colossia, that he said, pray for utterance that I would know what to say and that I would know how to say it, that I would say it the right way, boldly, not timidly, not afraid, but boldly. Now, this is easy for me to be bold. Nobody's trying to kill me, Taylor. Paul when he preached, they would, they would stone him. He, he'd take the wrong people off, they'd whip him. I mean, this is like serious business here. For us, we just read it and go, oh yeah, sure. But when Paul was saying it, he was like, listen, I know if I preach this, they could stone me. I know if I preach this, I'm going to have to go into hiding. I know if I preach this, they're going to have to let me down. Remember one time they had to let him down from like a basket on the side of the wall? I mean, it's like movie kind of stuff. I know if I preach this, they might try to give me over to the Sanhedrin and they'll whip me. So please pray that I'd be bold because I don't want to, even in the face of beatings, I don't want to be timid for Jesus' sake. That's the context of what he's talking for us. It's a little different. What, we're going to be bold and a couple people might get offended and leave the church? I mean, it's a joke for us. We're, he's talking serious stuff here. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? The guy in Russia that David was telling me about, that is like, a, you know, the, 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 the people, the, the government's constantly trying to search for him and kill him. I mean, when he says, pray that I'd be bold, I mean, he's like Paul. When David says, pray that I'd be bold, he's, 
because there's cartel members that are trying to murder him in Mexico. So when he says boldness, it's a little bit of a different context than when I say boldness. But, but we still need boldness because there's many people, even in our very safe society of Canada, many pastors still will not be bold because they don't want to tick everybody off. But they have to say what the Bible says from the right place, under the anointing, and in love, but they have to preach truth, the pillar of truth. And yet they still will hold back because they don't, they don't want their machine, their big ministry machine will start sputtering if people start getting offended and leave. That's why they don't talk about tithing. That's why they don't talk about this. That's why they don't talk about sin. They don't call sin, sin, black, black, white, white, because they're afraid that everybody will leave. See, ultimately it's because they don't understand faith and because they'd rather have a large ministry than have Jesus pleased with them. Well, God wants us to have large ministries, but we want Jesus pleased with us first. So boldness is so important. Now, I didn't share this one with you, but it's only one phrase. It's very easy. First Thessalonians 5.25. I want you to write these down because it's important that you remember these because I really am asking you to pray these for me. Now, this doesn't give specifics here. It just says, 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5 and verse 25. It's just a very simple statement. Brethren, one of the shortest verses in the Bible, brethren, pray for us. <laughs> That's about it. Praise God. <laughs> I don't care what you pray. I don't care how you pray. I just need your prayers. I think that's what Paul was trying to say. I said, I could give you a whole list, but you know what? Just pray. Please pray. Praise God. So to the Thessalonican church, he was saying, brethren, just please pray for me. Amen. That's the third reference in the New Testament where he asks us to pray. I haven't read this one to you either, but Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 18. You know that famous verse, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account that they may do it, that they may watch for your souls with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. Well, that's the congregation being told what to do. But hey, there's also a further instruction of what the congregation, Jenny, is told to do. It's not just told to obey and submit and let the minister that's watching over you, the pastor, watch over you in joy instead of grief because you're bucking at him all the time. That's one instruction in verse 17. But verse 18 has another instruction for you. What does it say? And pray for us. So he's saying for you to be submissive, but he's also asking for you to pray for the pastor. For we trust that we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. I think that's interesting. Willing to live honestly. Amen. Uh, let me read that to you. I have to, it's loading. Let me just read that to you, please. Uh, what was it again, Taylor? Hebrews 13, 18, right? I want to read that to you from another translation here uh, because uh, uh, can I say it this way? It's not a foregone conclusion that every pastor will be honest. If it was a foregone conclusion that every pastor would be honest, he wouldn't say, pray that I'd be honest. That's true. Yeah. Christians are the most notorious people for lying to the government, for cheating on their taxes, for saying that they didn't earn this money when they really did because they're too cheap to pay the taxes on it. I'm telling you. Uh, you know, you're ste stealing your cable signal from your neighbor. You forget about, Lord, give me, you know, bless my socks off. You can't even believe God to pay the, the Rogers bill. And yet you're, you, you know what I'm saying? Living honestly matters to God. Yes. It matters to God. It really does. It matters to God. <laughs> Keep praying for us for we are convinced that we have a good clear conscience that we want to walk uprightly and live a noble life 
acting honorably and complete honesty, in complete honesty in all things. Did you see that? Living uprightly, a noble life, acting honorably and in complete, not partial, complete honesty in all things. I was with Jerry once, Brother Jerry, and, and he's, he was saying to me, he was, we were talking about something, actually we were talking about this verse, and, and he said, you know, years ago he went to Africa, Kenya, he took one of the young ministers, one of his spiritual sons with him, and the guy didn't have a lot of money, you know, he was just young and starting out in life, and so, you know, Jerry had, had said, I'm going to buy you something, here's X number of dollars, and go to that gift store, because he wanted his African skin or something, and he said, buy that, and you know, that's my gift to you on this trip. Jerry's a very, very generous person, and so, I mean, it was a number of thousands of dollars that that thing cost. And so the guy was bringing it through customs on the way home. And uh, he had his card there and Jerry had his card. And uh, he went first before Jerry. And so Jerry's standing behind him and he can hear the conversation. And the man said, do you have anything to declare? And he said, no. And he said, are you sure? And he said, no, I've got nothing to declare. So you didn't buy any, anything over there? There's nothing over this limit? And he said, the limit. No, no, no. Okay, fine, he stamped him, he goes on. So Jerry came, and Jerry walked up to him, and he said, why did you lie? Well, you know, Brother Jerry, this is the government. I mean, they're just always after our money. They're just always, and he said, he said, if you had told me that, and he said, I don't have the money to pay the customs. He said, if you had come to me and told me, Brother Jerry, thank you for the gift, but I don't have the money to pay the customs. He said, I would have given you that money. He said, he said, when you lie like that, you block the ability of God to bless you because you are acting worse than the sinner. All these sinners in the line are paying their money. I'm serious. Living completely honest matters to God for everybody. But a pastor, very important. Very important that there's above board, that we are clean. And that's why I so appreciate Errol Rosita and Brother Wayne Rutledge, because in our accounting department, they, they tell me what the rules are with the government. Sometimes they're pretty excessive and extreme. And I must say, I'm tempted at times to just say, you know what, we can bypass that corner and cut that thing over there, because they're just, they're just really, it's just ridiculous, all the rules and everything. But they help keep me completely honest. And I think it's important that we are completely honest. But the Bible says, pray for us that we would be honest. So that, that doesn't insinuate that I'm doing something wrong. That's not why I'm asking you to pray for me. Don't take this, you, Paul, they didn't look at Paul and go, oh, see, you're sinning. That's why you're asking me, because you're sinning. You're being dishonest. No, he just said, pray. I want to live a noble life. I want to live an upright life. I want to be completely honest. But there's obviously pressures and temptations to pull me away from that, especially in ministry. So just pray. Honest sexually, honest financially, honest, just integrity in every area. Amen. Praise God. It's so important. Oh, living honestly, not looking for ways to get away with sin. Praise God. Yes. Hallelujah. So that's a very important verse. Would you remember, I'm giving you the eight verses about praying for me. Now, we already know this one. I've already read this to you. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 1. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 1. Can you read that with me, please? 2 Thessalonians 3 and the verse 1. And it says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for not all men have faith. So there is a praying for the word to have free course and be glorified. And number two, that they would be protection and deliverance for some people want to attack the gospel and therefore the people that are preaching the gospel. 
And so there are demonic assignments and strategies, and so pray for deliverance. I believe we've already talked about that one, but I want to list you that out as number, uh, as number, what is that, number four. Is that correct? Okay. Now, now we've already read this one as well. Romans 15, 30, but just for sake of argument, let's read it one more time. Romans chapter 15 and verse 30. Now, this is probably the most um, full or the most thorough uh, call of prayer, the most the most verbiage, at least, that Paul lists on any of these eight calls for prayer. In verse 30, it says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, do it for Jesus. Jenny, people need to pray for us, not because necessarily they like us, but because Jesus asked them to. I need to do the daily connections, whether they like it or not, whether they attack me or not, whether they encourage me or not, whether they criticize or compliment, whether they watch it or not, because simply he asked me to do it. For his sake, I do it. That's when we say for his sake, it means because he asked. I don't forgive somebody like Taylor, you were mean to me today, but I forgive you. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, don't, I don't forgive somebody. We've all had situations, many of them in our lives, where we have to forgive somebody. We don't feel like it, and they're more in the wrong than we are. But we don't do it because we feel it. We do it because Jesus asked us to. We're forgiving them for him. Lord, I do this for you, for your sake. So you see here, it says, I beseech you for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. Do it for the Lord because he asked you to. And for the love of the Spirit. Now, the Amplified says, the love of, that the Spirit put in you for me, which means God obviously has put love in your heart. Now, he shed abroad his love in general, but he specifically has shed abroad his love in the people's hearts for Paul and for every minister that is over them. So there's a love of the Spirit in you for me that you strive together with me in your prayers. In other words, I'm praying. I'm not lazy. I'm praying too, but I need you to strive. Did you notice there? It didn't, it's not a relaxed term. It's not just, well, when you have a minute, you know, just, just you know, pray for me when you have a minute. That word strive, it's a very long Greek word. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it means this to struggle in company with, to struggle in company with. In other words, you're in company with me. You're connected to me. Now, I'm, I'm pressing and I'm, I'm pushing up this and I need you to struggle in company with me. I need you to push with me. Strive together with me in your prayers. Do you see that? It's not a, a light word. It shows great intensity and great effort that Paul is making. Paul's life is on the line. The gospel is on the line. And he's saying, please, I am pressing in prayer. I need you because of Jesus. Do it for him. And because the love that God has put in your heart for me, please press with me in prayer for me. Praise God. It's a powerful, very powerful verse. That I may be delivered from them that do not believe. Remember, we already read in, in Thessalonians, not all men have faith. And there's wicked and unreasonable men out there that I may be delivered from those that don't believe, that don't have faith. And that's, that's number, so number, do for the Lord's sake, because of the love of the Spirit in, in you for me, please pray for me. Now then he lists what, what we're praying for, one, that he'd be delivered, and two, that my service or my ministry would be accepted, which I have for Jerusalem, may be accepted of the saints. This is really important. We got to pray that the ministry, the word, Jenny, what you just said, lands right. What I'm preaching lands right. That's what it means that the ministry, it means the service. It means what, I've, what I'm doing and what I'm saying. It would be accepted by the people. It don't matter, Jenny, if we preach, but the people don't believe it. The people don't run with it. The people just decide, oh, that's your opinion. I'm not going to do that. We need the people to accept the ministry and the words that we're preaching. It has to land right in them. Can I say something to you all? Pastor Webb told us years ago, don't get opinionated. Remember, I don't know if those of you that weren't here, you know, he really hammered that one weekend without church. Yeah. I got no opinion. Yeah. Yeah. People, the, the flesh goes, oh. 
What do you mean I don't got an opinion? I got an opinion. Don't you know I got an opinion? But he was talking about, not that you can't have an opinion about anything, but how the church is run, how the sermons are preached, how, the, how this is executed in the local church. You don't have an opinion about it. Now listen to me. I was praying about this one particular thing about what, Lord, what I said, Lord, what does my ministry being accepted really mean? And the Lord started talking to me and he, he said this, and I'm, I'm just, now I'm putting my name on this quote because Pastor Nancy got a whole slew of them and I don't got no none of them, right? Because she's smarter than me. So I can put my name on it, even though I heard him say this to me. So really his name should be on it. But I heard him say these words, opinions are pregnant with criticism. When criticism comes to full maturity, it brings forth offense. I heard him say that. I said, Lord, can I put my name on that? <laughs> he said, sure, son. <laughs> Opinions are pregnant with criticism. When criticism comes to full maturity, it brings forth offense. Have you ever noticed that people that get really opinionated, uh, being critical is just right there. And the more they talk about, well, I don't think, well, I, I don't think that, uh, that's being opinionated. Well, I didn't do your opinion. And, uh, well, my opinion is as important as your opinion. I don't think we should do it this way, and I don't think we should do it this way. Then when, then when somebody puts their foot down and says, well, we're doing it this way, then what do they start doing? They start getting critical. Well, you see, I don't think that person really knows what they're doing because I don't think we should do it that way. And I don't think that we should have little snakes on the carpet. It's not snakes. They're just a design. But one lady left our church because there were snakes on our carpet. Because she got opinion that she got opinionated. Another lady left our church because uh, the bathrooms were too big. Another lady left our church because we have red grape juice instead of white. I mean, it's astonishing, Jenny, what people get offended about. But did you notice it started with an opinion? They had an opinion about what they thought should happen. Then they got critical because nobody agreed with their opinion. Well, me, I didn't agree with their opinion. And then that criticalness brings forth offense. Now, if offense keeps walking, Taylor, people will leave. Offense produces separation. So we could say opinions are pregnant with criticism. When criticism comes to full maturity, it brings forth offense, and offense produces separation. Now what feeds opinions? Pride. Now you can have an opinion. We all have opinions. We like certain colors more than others. We like certain vehicles more than others. We like certain dress. You know, we, some people like to dress this way, certain styles of hair. That's all fine. That's normal life. But I'm talking about opinions and how God's work is being handled. That's what I'm talking about. I'll help you. You don't want to get fired from your job. Stop being so opinionated with your boss. Because he didn't hire you for your opinion. He hired you for, to, to run with his opinion. <laughs> now, he may ask you, tell me how you think we can improve this. Now, he's asking you your opinion. I met with our senior leaders and, and uh, well, with some of our senior leaders, and, and I said to them, now, you know, there's certain things, there's basically three categories. Sometimes God speaks to me, and, and, and I'm just updating you. When I'm updating you, I don't want your opinion, I don't need your opinion, and I don't need you pushing back on me. I'm just telling you what God said, and I already know how we're going to execute it. Now, you can add to that, but that's one flow. I said, then there's another flow that I already know what God said, but I don't know how to, how to make it happen. So I want your opinion on how we can execute it, but not if we should do it. And then I said, there's a third category where I have a sense of something, but I don't even know what God's will is. So I just want to talk about it because as we talk about it, maybe clarity will come to me. I want your opinion. Share with me the pros and cons, the negatives, if you think we should, if you think we shouldn't, about certain things that we're doing in the ministry. Give me your opinion. But you see, that is, that is an invited. Opinions have to be invited. If your boss doesn't ask for your opinion, it would be better for your long-term success that you just keep your mouth silent. 
Because he didn't pay you to give you your, him your opinion. He paid you to run with his opinion, to execute his, what his good idea, or you might think bad idea, but it's still his idea and he started the company. So whatever he says goes, right? So in the local church, it's dangerous for, minutes, for people to say, well, I have an opinion on this and an opinion on that because pride is what feeds opinions. Well, I think this and I think I'm smarter than that. And you know, Pastor Nancy tells me all, all the time, she says, especially people that are highly educated, uh, they really have to put that flesh under. Especially people that are the boss. She said this to me just recently. She said, people that are the boss, Pastor Craig, out in the world and they come to church, they just automatically, because they're used to telling everybody what to do, they want to tell you what to do. They want to tell you, no, 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 I don't think we should do that. Oh, no, no, I think we should do this course. I think we should do that thing. And I think we should do that outreach. And I don't really like that because they're used to being the alpha. But in this church, you're not the alpha. Not because, I'm, not because you're not smarter than me, because most people are smarter than me. They have better education. They're better administrators. They maybe even be better in leadership skills. But the only problem is God didn't call you. And God didn't anoint you. And you say, I know what you're thinking. What's wrong with God? Why did he call you? Didn't he see who you were? Didn't he see what you've got? I got more than you. I know it's a travesty if you ask me. But for whatever crazy reason, he didn't ask you to do it. He asked me to do it, but he asked you to help me do it. So it's better that you keep your opinions to a minimum. Well, I, I don't really like the fact that the, the daily connection is going uh, as long as it's going. Okay. You just robbed yourself of receiving whatever God had for you in that daily connection because now you're opinionated about the length you become critical and if you don't be careful you'll just stop watching and cut yourself off well I don't think that daily connection should be as short as it is because what if I were to do five minutes instead of 20 minutes I know there'd be people out there that were offended they feel like they're chipped but it's so important that we cut opinions out just cut it out and the world will stimulate you. Sure. The world, the spirit of the world wants you to have as many opinions as possible. But Jesus says, uh, you can have your opinions on a certain level and that's fine. But when it comes to my word, when it comes to my work, when it comes to my working in your life, why don't you just humble yourself and just say, Lord, what you want, I want. I don't really have an opinion on that. I just want what you want. Praise God. I remember when we were in the dealership and I said, I'm so used to praying that, Taylor. Lord, I want what you want. I don't want what you don't want. And I said, Lord, you know, I, I, I just, I, I don't know. You pick the car. I don't even know what I even want. You pick the car. You know me better than me anyway. And he said, but son, you, you just pick what you like. I said, but I don't even know what I want. See, then indecisiveness, you know, and then, and then when, when he said, now you, you go ahead and pick what you like, but just follow your spirit. Well, then I picked something I really liked, but then I had to check in my spirit because I couldn't afford it. And I said, oh, Lord, I'll use my faith for that. He goes, no, you, don't, you, don't, you won't use your faith for that. You'll cause pressure on your family. You see, so he let me choose, but in line with my spirit. When I choose and got in the flesh, he said, no. Right. Then now, now the test comes. Did you really mean it when you said, I want what you want? Did you really mean it? Because we say that, but then when something grows cross threads without desire, Jenny, did we still really mean it? I said to Pastor Nancy, Pastor, I just, I just, whatever you want, whatever you want. She says, well, I want you to fly over here and then I want you to fly there. And I said to her, well, Pastor, that, don't, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense because if I do that, it's a double trip. It's a lot more money. It's a lot more time. And if we do it this way, it will be better. And in the natural, my way was better. And she's so sweet. She says, Pastor. I said, yes, Mom. 
She said, I just really have it in my heart to do it this way. Would that be okay with you? She's so sweet and kind. Now, it would be the stupidest thing in my life to open my mouth again with my opinion. Because you know what will happen? She just will stop asking me. Because she's not going to get in confrontation with me. I said, and I heard the Holy Ghost say, he said, stop talking. Because I was giving her my opinions. Do what she wants, son. It don't matter about the money. It doesn't matter about the time. If that's not important. Do what she wants. Flowing with her is more important than the money. So I said, Pastor, whatever you want, I'll do anything you want. And it's not because I'm brain dead and that I'm just controlled and manipulated. It's because I recognize that in the working with her flow, it matters that I don't have an opinion. Do you understand? And that's one of the reasons why she, she has given us favor and, and she feels safe with us. Because I don't engage with her in my opinions. I don't, she, sometimes she'll ask me what I think and then I'll tell her. But she knows I'm not there to push. Well, I think we should do this. And I don't think we should go to that country. And I don't think you should do this. I don't do that. Because she don't need uh, any more voices trying to pressure her. She's got enough from everywhere else on the left, right, front, back, upside. She's got enough voices. She don't need me as another voice pressing her. She just needs me to say, Pastor, what you want, I do. What you want, I do. Do you want to do that? No problem. I wasn't always like that. But I learned by, the, by learning to listen to the inward witness, I learned that if I want to stay close to the, my man of God, so to speak, that I, I better learn to get opinions uh, far from me. And that's not weakness. Because pride says that's meekness. Meekness is how you treat others. Meekness is submission. It's gentleness and patience. How I treat her is not weakness, it's meekness. Meekness is not weakness. So don't, don't get it mixed up. So that pride will feed that. Amen. Uh, getting opinionated about when you get a counseling session. Or how long your counseling session is. Do you, do you all remember that there are other people that need counseling? And many of them are more important than your needs. You have no idea what people are going through in the church. Not even the staff know what people are going through in the church, many of them. Because it's confidential and it's for my eyes and ears only. And I'm telling you, sometimes there are serious situations that I have to deal with. And then I have to prioritize when all these people are booking. And sometimes I have to bump people because in my spirit, I know that this one has to be first because there will be loss in their life. And, 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 yet, and then people get offended with me. Why did you bump me? Why did you do this? Why, how come you can only meet with me for 45 minutes? Aren't I important? I'm telling you. All those opinions kind of attitude, uh, let me tell you this, it simply means you're not ready for, you're not ready for me and what I can offer you. Yeah. Do you understand? I'm talking about counseling particularly now. You're not ready for me. Can I just read you? I know it's 858, but we're all got our sleeping bags tonight anyway. So, you know, you know Lorraine's already nestled down in hers. She's ready to go for the night. Uh, she's way past her bedtime. It's past 6 p.m., Lorraine. You should uh, praise God. Okay, uh, sorry. But uh, I just want to uh, read this to you because it really helped me. Praise God. This is a wonderful book. Pastor Nancy sent it to me. We've ordered it from England. They only print it in England. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a book that I've never read by Smith Wigglesworth. It's the only book that's chronological about his life. I've never read another chronological book. And there's stuff in here that no other book, I've read every book that's ever been written on Wigglesworth. There's no other book that I've ever read that has certain information that this book has. And she sent it to me as a personal gift. I'd never even heard of it before. It's called The Complete Story. We have it in our bookstore. We ordered it from England. So the next time you come in, I encourage you to pick up a copy. But, but I, want to, I want you to read this. Uh, it says here, 
Um, Wigglesworth would deal very severely with anyone who tried to make private claims on his time and attention. That's why Wigglesworth could never be a pastor. Because <laughs> he beat everybody up all the time. Because being a pastor, everybody wants a private claim on your time. But he was very careful about that. Once when Wigglesworth was preaching at a city, at a church in a city in America, he was asked by the pastor to pray for a prominent woman of high social status at her home, convinced that her healing would make considerable impact on the city. Wigglesworth was reluctant to make a special trip to see her, pointing out to the pastor that he was holding three meetings a day and that she should come to one of those meetings for prayer. But the pastor persisted and it was decided that they would stop by at her home on the way to the evening meeting. James Salter recalled. Uh, that was his son-in-law? Son-in-law. Son we drew up, quote-unquote, we drew up to, at the door, rang the bell, and were ushered into a palatial room. From there we moved into a very large bedroom. There was like an, e there was like an eastern monarch on a throne. There, like an eastern monarch on a throne, sat the gorgeously robed lady in a rain on a rainbow-colored pile of lovely embroidered cushions. I guess she thought she was a queen. Wigglesworth stood and stared at this incredible sight. <laughs> and he said, quote, well, you certainly look comfortable. I beg your pardon, she snapped. I simply said, you certainly look comfortable. Then she let loose a storm of abuse, which left her exhausted. Oh, he said, I can see that you're not ready for me yet. Good evening. And with that, he walked out the house and entered the waiting car. My wife and I followed him and ventured to suggest to him that he had been a bit harsh with the lady. <laughs> I know my business, he said. The pastors remained in the bedroom for quite some time while in an endeavor to placate the lady. When they came out, they pleaded with him to go back and pray for her because she's a big giver. You don't offend big givers. But he was adamant, saying, no, she is not ready for me. Let us go to the meeting. What was he saying? This is very, very powerful. What was he saying? The, I preach it on Sunday. The anointing in the office can only work for people that have received that office with honor. And you're offended when you're angry, when you're bitter, when you're opinionated, critical. When you're all these things, you block that anointing from that office to flow. Even if I want it to flow, God won't let it flow. Because the person by their internal and many times external manifestation of that attitude. Some people, they say all the right words, but in their heart, they're offended. And they wonder why they don't get healed. You may not have verbal abuse like this woman, but if you're in your heart, you're offended. That, uh, you block the flow of that anointing from that office. So really, that's what he meant. She's not ready for me. She can't receive from me because she's, her heart's not right. That's what he was saying. The following morning, there was another service, and as was his usual practice, Wigglesworth invited those who need, with needs to come to the platform so he could pray for them. He had barely finished speaking when a woman darted out of her seat and ran toward the platform, but in her haste, she tripped and fell prostrate on her face. It was this wealthy woman who had raged at Wigglesworth the night before. Scrambling to her feet, she came forward to the platform and testified that after Wigglesworth had left, she repented and God had healed her. Wow. <laughs> that morning in the service, she had given her life to Jesus. Quote, she was a broken woman, recalled Salter, profuse in her apologies. Again, we had been wrong in our judgments and God had vindicated Wigglesworth's actions. You know, if somebody comes and they're running and they do a face plant, it's very embarrassing. 
You know what I'm saying? Isn't that interesting that the most proud woman did a face plant? Almost, I'm not saying God tripped her. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it was a humbling experience for her. But she repented of her pride, got born again and healed. See, pride keeps you out of God. He resists the proud, but the humble, oh, he exalts them. Hallelujah. So it's very important for my ministry to be accepted, for, my, for my, my words, my preaching. It has to land right. We have to pray that people don't get opinionated, Taylor, that they don't get critical, that they don't get offended, that they don't have this pride working with them, that it lands right in their hearts. Now notice he said, pray for these things. I'm not making this up. Did you see that? He said, pray for this. Pray that my, my ministry would be accepted. So let's go back to that verse. I'm almost done. He says here again, because of Jesus, for the love of Jesus, for his sake, because of the love of God in your heart, strive, press with me in your prayers. And then he tells what to pray, verse 31, that I may one be delivered. And number two, that my ministry would be accepted. What I'm preaching would be accepted of the saints. My anointing and my office would be accepted of the saints. That lady could not receive his anointing or office. It wasn't accepted of her. We need to pray that people will accept it and not be critical and opinionated and offended all the time and not be proud. And then number three, that I may come to you with joy. (laughs) So there's a joy that you need to pray that I have. It's important. It's better that I'm joyful in the pulpit than depressed. By the will of God, that I would stay in the will of God and not get into things that I shouldn't be into because it looks good and it helps people, but it's not the plan of God for this ministry. And number six, that I with you may be refreshed. He said, I want you to be refreshed when I come and I want to be refreshed. So he says, there's six things. What's the first one? Pray, please, that I'd be delivered. Pray that my ministry would land right, be accepted. Pray that I'd have joy. Pray that I'd stay in the will of God, number four. Pray that, I guess, is it five things, Taylor? Delivered, ministry accepted, come with joy, stay in the will of God, five things, and that me with you, we both would be refreshed when I come. We want people refreshed, not thinking, oh dear God, I'll never come back. We want them thinking, praise God, I got something today. Amen. I can't wait. See, I'm refreshed. I want people to leave church refreshed. Praise God. I want to leave church refreshed. And that's, they know that you have to pray for that. Taylor, we actually have to pray. Lord, let them come and enjoy it so much. They leave refreshed. They they don't even want to leave. That's what we should pray. And we're seeing a measure of it Wednesday night because I'd rushed, rushed, rushed to finish. And then I come out of the green room, you know, after a meeting at 1030 and there's still 40 people here talking. So obviously they're refreshed enough. I didn't tire them out. They were still an hour later. They're still having lattes. Praise God. Thank God for the cafe. Amen. Praise God. So let's pray for these things that they would be deliverance, that the message would be accepted. Praise God. Let's pray for these things that I would have joy that I'd stay in the will of God and that I'd be refreshed and that you'd be refreshed too. Very important. Amen. Uh, I, Philippians 1.19, it's, it's very short, but I want to read it to you because this is, the, what is my number seven now, Brother Taylor? Philippians 1.19, praise God. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Christ Jesus. What is he saying? You have a supply of the Spirit for me. Not just a supply financially, a supply of the Spirit. Your praying for me is a, he called it a supply. You hear Pastor Nancy talk about that phrase a lot. She gets it from this verse. There is a supply of the Spirit that we have in prayer. And Paul is saying this whole situation is going to turn. I'm going to be delivered. I'm going to be saved. Remember, he's in prison when he writes this. He's saying this whole attack, this whole problem I'm going through, whatever that may be for us, we may not be in prison, but we also have issues. He's saying if you bring a supply of the the spirit in prayer, it's going to turn. If you bring a supply of the spirit in prayer, I'm going to be delivered. It's going to turn. All the money, the 35,000 million, it'll all come in because of your supply of the spirit in prayer. Now, don't just do a supply of the spirit in prayer and then not tithe. 
Do a supply of the Spirit in the natural. Don't just say, well, all the ministry of helps will come to pass and then not serve. There's a natural supply, but there's a supply of the Spirit in prayer, and it will all turn in Jesus' name. It will all come. All that we need will come, and every situation will turn if the people will bring a supply of the Spirit in prayer. This is very important. Philippians 1.19. Was that number seven, Taylor? Yes. Praise God. And the last one that I want to read you here is 2 Corinthians 1.11. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 11. Now, this is a, a little bit complicated scripture, so I'll read it to you from there, but really I have to read it to you from the other, and then we'll close. But uh, I, I, you won't probably understand it from the King James because it's very hard to explain. It's, they don't explain it as well as they should. Uh, <clears throat> praise God. 2 Corinthians 1.11, You also helping together by praying for us that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. Well, that's great. Now, let me read it to you from the Amplified Version so we can break it down a little bit. While you also cooperate by your praying, for, by your prayers for us, helping and laboring together with us in prayer, thus the lips of many persons turned toward God that got saved will eventually give thanks on our behalf for the grace, the blessings of deliverance granted to us at the request of many who have prayed for us. Do you know what he's saying? If you'll just cooperate in prayer, then the people that eventually get saved, down the road, there'll be thanksgiving made to God that we were delivered. And because we were delivered, the gospel came to them. And we were only delivered because you prayed. So there'll be thanksgiving to God for you, even though they don't know who you are. They'll be thanking God that we were delivered and lived long enough to get the gospel to them. <laughs> and because of your prayers, we were delivered, so they're really thanking God for you. That's what, that's what Paul is saying here. So pray that I would, again, notice how many times he says delivered? Pray that I would be delivered. Delivered. Four verses, four different scriptures, talks about delivered. Delivered. He's talking again here that there would be a deliverance that comes to him, a safety that comes. Now have a look at verse 10. Who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. You also helping together by praying for us. So verse 10 goes right into 11. But what's the subject matter of verse 10? Deliverance. And he says that verse, he says that word many times. In the Amplified it says, for he, it is he who rescued and saved us from such a perilous death, and he will still rescue us and save us. And on him we have set our hope and our joyful, confident expectation that he will again deliver us from danger and destruction and draw us to himself. He's saying he has, he is, and he's going to deliver us because Paul was in constant threat. And you know what? Because he's delivered us, because you prayed he would deliver us, the people that were getting saved, they're going to thank God for you because of your prayers we got delivered, preached to them, and they got saved as a result. That's the, that's the summary of, of verse 10 and 11. So again, your prayers for safety and protection matters. It really, really matters. Praise God. Can I say this? I'll close my Bible so all of you nervous ones can just relax. Uh, winding down. But can I just say something to you uh, that brother, the apostle Paul was an apostle yes. and as a result of being an apostle, he went to men in various places that were dangerous. Plus their society hated God and so they, the Romans were killing people that believed in God. But as I was studying this for this evening, Jenny, the Lord spoke something to me and he said, now I've made it public, son, through Randy Greer last March, a year ago now. Actually, this week is a year. It's actually with the one-year anniversary this week. He said, I made it public through Randy Greer a year ago.
about the apostolic office that you stand in. I didn't ask him to say it. I didn't even know he was going to say it. He didn't discuss it with me first or ask permission. He just obeyed God. Now the Lord said something, and I, when I see you and I share with you some scripture that he gave me on the fast, maybe this will play out and make more sense to you. But it applies tonight to this, so I want to say this. He said, did you notice how many times that the Apostle Paul asked for protection, deliverance, repeatedly? In fact, the vast majority was not utterance, it was protection. Why? Because as an apostle, his life was under threat. Do you understand? And the Lord said something to me today when I was praying, and he said, I've made public, you're in the very early beginning, uh, ankle deep stage. You're not, not even close to the waters to swim in yet. But you're at the very early ankle stage, ankle level of water depth of the apostles area. And it's still not your primary, your primary is the pastor. He said, but because I have made this public, and this is the one year anniversary of that. He said, and because I've started to share with you where you're going and what's going to be happening in the years to come, and I'll share this more when you're in person because I got to share some scripture he gave me on the fast, which will explain that further to you. But he said to me, there are places that you are going to go that will cause, cause great threat to your life. Now, he's already talked to me about on the fast about that, so that's not news to me. I'm not, that doesn't scare me or nothing. It scared me the first little bit, but I was fasting, so don't worry. All, all of that fear left pretty quick because I was just locked away with God. But he talked to me about some stuff, which I'll share later in person, about some things that are going to happen in the ministry, not necessarily in Canada, but in other parts of the world, that where there will be, um, for lack of a better word, many forms of danger. And so, and today when I was reading this and I was saying, this was my last number eight scripture about the praying, Paul eight times asked people to pray. And so I, when I got to this one and I was reading about the, the previous verse, I have been delivered, I am being delivered, I will be delivered, and people will thank God for you because of your prayers I'm delivered. I, said, I heard the Holy Ghost say, did you notice how many times he's talking about being delivered? I said, yes, I noticed that, Lord. He said, did you know that that's because he's an apostle? I said, I didn't really connect the two, but okay, because that apostle was always out there establishing works and people wanted to kill him. Yeah. He said, do, do, do you know that it's your year anniversary uh, that I talked about the beginnings of your apostle uh, phase and era of your ministry? I said, yes, Lord, I, I, know, I know that. And he said, and I told you on the fast that the day is coming where you're going to go to certain places where there'll be much, uh, much pressure against your life. I said, yes, Lord, I know that you said that to me on the fast, and I will tell the people when they come so I can preach to them and see the whites of their eyes. He said, it's very important. I'm telling you what he said to me today in prayer. He said, it's very important that people take this seriously. He said, it's very important that people start to pray now, not just when you're in a country and you call and you say, Jenny, get Lorraine, uh, they're trying to attack us. They're trying to find us, the, the Muslims or the jihadists or whoever it is. Th th there's a hit out on us. That's not the time to start praying. No, Amen. And I'm not being melodramatic with you. Amen. I'm not being melodramatic with you. I'm being very serious. Because I, he, I know what he said on the fast, but he hasn't talked to me about it since. But today he talked to me about it. And he said, because I, I didn't connect the two, Taylor. He said the reason why there was so much threat on him was because of the apostle's office. He said, pastors don't have that same threat. Prophets to a measure do, but not the same. The reason there was threats on his life was because he was an apostle. That's why you see David, because he's an apostle. The, that office draws assassination, for lack of a better word. That office draws demons to kill it. 
And he said, now you're at the very early stages, but it is one year since I've made it public. And he said, I, I, you share with them when you're ready about what I shared with you in the fast. But it's important you start to tell them that not only is it important to pray for deliverance because you're going to be going places that will put a threat on your life. There'll be threats against your life. Not that that's cool. We don't want to go to places. We want to go to nice places, Taylor. We don't want to go to places where there's threats in our life. That doesn't make me feel good. That doesn't, the, the thought of being in a prison somewhere and in those third worlds, you don't want to be in their prisons. Believe me, you may never get out. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not a joke. This is, this, is, this is not humorous. But that's not a place, I don't want to go to a place like that. But he said to me, uh, there's places you're going to go where there will be serious threats against your life. And this is what he said to me today. And I already knew that from the fast, but today he showed me something new. He said, did you notice the deliverance prayers was because of the apostle's office? He said, it's been one year anniversary since I've told you that. And he said, I already told you, you're going to go places in the future with great threats against your life. But, now this is the new part, but... If people wait to pray then, there will be loss that has occurred. I don't know what the loss means. I hope it doesn't mean my life, but he, mean, he said there'll be loss that comes, that happens. He said people need to pray now long before that ever happens to prepare the way, so to speak, so that when you step on the plate and you step on that land and you step, and whatever strategies those demons that are working through those human beings have to try to silence you, that I've already, angels have already been working long in advance to protect and to cause the gospel to have free course and to cause you to be delivered. For some men are wicked and unreasonable and not all men have faith. And so when I say this to you from 2 Corinthians 1.11, I'm letting you know this is a, not just another scripture. This is, a pri this is an actual uh, Holy Ghost inspired instruction to ask you, even though you don't even know what I'm talking about and I haven't shared everything that happened on the fast and you don't know what's coming, but I'm telling you there's something, there's stuff coming. Yes, amen. There's stuff coming. God is opening the Philippines. Well, I'm not surprised because he said last year, Philippines, I don't know what that meant, but he's starting to open it. Praise God. And Africa is starting to open. And there's other parts of the world. There's many parts that have asked me to come, but I don't feel any peace to go, including Iraq, including places where they will kill you. You don't want to go to an Iraqi prison. Believe me. So when the Lord said, I don't want you to go there, I said, amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. I, I'm thrilled that you said not to go there because that's the, that'd take all my faith. <laughs> because, I, you know, those places are serious places. Pakistan, there's a number of places that have said, come, we want you to preach. And, and, and I know that you get caught in those places. Uh, they'll put you in prison and they may never let you out. And so I'm just saying, you got to be very sober where you go. You got to not just go because there's a need. You got to go because God said to go. And even if God said to go, the people still have to pray because God told James to preach and then he lost his head. And then God told Peter to preach and then he's in prison about to lose his head. But because the people prayed in Acts 13, the angel came and delivered. But notice the angel didn't come to deliver till the people prayed. That's why Paul is taking a lesson from James and Peter and he's saying, hold on a second, you better pray because I'm not going to lose my head at the, until the right time. He did lose his head. They decapitated him, but only when he had run his race and finished his course. He said, well, until I'm run that race, you better pray. I need to be delivered. The gospel has to keep going forward. And I'm telling you, that, pro that apostles thing, there, there's something about it. I don't know fully, I don't fully understand it all, but God's been dealing with me. There's something, it draws attacks to it differently 
than other, than other offices do. And people need to start praying now. You say, well, how do I pray? I don't know how to pray. Why don't you just start with speaking the word? These, the verses I've given you, the ones that refer to deliverance, just start saying, Father, I say over Pastor Craig, I say over Pastor Craig and the church and the ministry and the staff and all these traveling companions, I say over them these verses that you will deliver them. Now, Father, praying out the mystery. I don't exactly know exactly when or where that's going to be needed, but you know, and I make preparation and I stock the shelves and I start to pray out for future deliverance that is needed. That's how you do it. And you can pray for five minutes, two minutes, one minute, 20 minutes, an hour and a half, but just pray until you feel, okay, that's it for today. And then don't wait six months, but a little bit sooner, hopefully than six months, pick it up again and say, Father, I speak these verses out regarding deliverance in that apostle's office. And I pray out the mystery regarding his deliverance. Your mind don't know exactly the deal, but the Holy Ghost knows it's a mystery to you, but it's not to him. Just pray it out. Specify your tongues and pray out for that deliverance. And I'm telling you, we'll have much preparation made so that when that moment comes or those moments come that I, I can stand with my head held high and God will deliver. Praise God and where the gospel will go forward. I, I almost feel sorry for some of you that God called you to be a part of an apostolic work because many of you would just prefer to be part of a nice simple little pastor's work but I didn't call you God called you. I didn't call me God called me. I didn't say to you you come. God said you come. That means he knows that there's a supply of the spirit Philippians 4 and 1 19 in you to help me in this call. And you will get the same reward in heaven as I do because you stayed back with the stuff and made a supply of the Spirit so that I could go into the lion's den and preach the gospel and not be devoured. You'll get the same reward. Some of you think, I don't, when you get to heaven, you see all the ribbons Jesus is going to give you and all the rewards. I don't deserve that. Oh, yes, you do, my sister. Oh, yes, you do, my brother. I never even went there. Yeah, but your prayers allowed Pastor Craig to go. If you didn't pray, he would have been killed. See all these people over here? See how they're all praising me? That is 1 Corinthians 1.11. All these people are praising me over here because thanking me, thanking me that they got saved, thanking me for your prayers, which let him go so that they could get saved. Because if you didn't pray, they wouldn't have got saved because he wouldn't have made it. See all of them praising? It's thanking me for your prayers. I'm telling you, people are not, not going to have a They're going to be shocked at how, how with the rewards they get in the thing they didn't do that much. Prayer is never not that much. Prayer is always huge. Father, bless them. Thank you for them. I thank you that they remember these eight verses as we conclude this mini three-part series. I thank you, Lord, that they pray for their pastor in these eight verses, critically important. I bless them and I thank you for them in the name of Jesus. Amen.